Steve here. Before we start the show, I just wanted to let you know that you can now support Rootbound on Patreon. Learn how, plus more ways to support the podcast at rootboundpodcast.com slash support. Now, on with the show. You are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Rootbound is brought to you by bulbs. No, not those light-up thingies. The original bulbs. Storage organs you can trust. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Each week on Rootbound, I invite a guest who comes on the show and tells me about a plant that means something to them, and then I tell the guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Before we meet our guest today at the top of the show, let's talk about cactus. This episode, we have the first two cactuses we've ever talked about on Rootbound, and that made me uh, Google some stuff about cactus because I realized I, you know, I know what a cactus is as a concept. I don't really know any fun facts or dazzling details about cactus in general, or cacti in general. That may or may not be the plural, um, cacti. But yes, cactus is a large family of plants made up of many genuses of, the, of cactus, and they are known mostly for their spines. Yes, they, they, they have these prickly spines that will, that will injure you if you get too close. One fun fact about their spines is that the spines are actually modified leaves. And that brings me to the next fun fact. If you think that if the spines are leaves, how do cactus photosynthesize? There's not much surface area there for the sun to hit their modified leaves. It turns out that cacti photosynthesize using their stems. So the the pad of a cactus, that cactusy part, the green part, those are modified stems, and that part of the plant is what actually does the photosynthesis, which is very interesting. One last little fun fact about cacti is CAM. So that stands for crassulation acid metabolism. This is another interesting way about how cacti photosynthesize. They actually store the CO2 that they need for photosynthesis at nighttime during the process of transpiration. So that's when water is leaving through the stomata, uh, the little holes on the pad of the cactus. And in the case of other plants, it's the leaves. But in the case of cactus, it's the stems, the modified stems. The water leaves and the CO2 comes in. And most plants immediately use that CO2 and the energy from the sun to go through photosynthesis. But cacti store that CO2 at night and then use it to photosynthesize during the day. And the reason they do this is because when they do the transpiration process at night, it's much more efficient with water. And as we know, cacti are incredibly efficient with water. So they store up that CO2 during the night and then they use it for photosynthesis during the daytime. So those are a few fun facts and dazzling details about cacti in general. And with that, let's talk to our guests and learn about some specific cacti. 
Having adapted to regions of extreme drought, heat, and cold, the cacti can live with a minimum of a precious commodity, water. Hi, Will. Welcome to Rootbound. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Do you have a plant to share with us today? I do. It is the humble prickly pear. Wonderful. I think you have the honor of having the first cactus on Rootbound, so congratulations. You know, as an Arizona native, that feels right. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I was actually cu- curious. You mentioned before you're out west, but I didn't know where, so that makes a lot of sense. Yep. We are. I'm out here in Phoenix, Arizona right now. Um, I was debating talking about the saguaro instead of the prickly mm, pear because mm-hmm. the saguaro, we are the only place in the United States where the saguaro grows natively. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and right, saguaros right. are weird because they're also like four times as big as anybody <laughs> seems to think. Sure, yeah. But all of that being said, I love the prickly pear. So had to be this. Wonderful. And what about, is there something in particular about the prickly pear that is meaningful to you? Like, what what about it? So growing up in the desert, um, I've never really, never really loved it here. <laughs> the desert's <laughs> not for me. I am very much like a forest person. Mm. I would even take a beach over the desert. Okay. But there's something really adorable about a prickly pear. So first off, they have this just iconic cactus shape. Uh, In real life, they look like clip art of a little (laughs) cactus. There's just this really pleasing roundness to them, but then they have the little spikes. Um, Their spikes are like precisely the right shape and density to, again, just be very iconic, very, like, easy to draw, easy to notice. Mm -hmm. Um, I love prickly pear flowers. They're beautiful. They can come in a range from yellow to, like, uh, a vibrant, vibrant red. Typically, I see them in in my side of town a little bit more yellow. Um, But they're just lovely. They're so um, delicate. They almost have the texture of, like, uh, like, a peony petal. Um, way less dense, way more open, I guess maybe closer to a poppy even. And the fruit itself, have you ever had a prickly pear? I So I'm thinking now, I don't think I've ever had the fruit straight, but I have had okay. it in juice before, um, okay. which is quite tasty. But I, yeah, I don't think I've ever had the fruit. No, I've had, I've had the 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 which you're probably going to get into the actual like pads before oh yeah the fruit let's talk about the fruit yes so you've had juice or lemonade or some such with with the juice in it so mm-hmm. you know about the color right mm-hmm. yes a prickly deep pear red yes deep red deep like purple red it stains everything that it comes into contact with but it is so beautiful it's one of those colors that you look at and you're like this is candy like this. This is (laughs) there's no way that this came from nature, but of course it did. Um, It's just this stunning, rich, beautiful color. It looks delicious and it is. Um, Prickly pears themselves have the texture of maybe like watermelon, maybe a little bit like jicama almost. Mm -hmm. So they're they're kind of crisp. Um, Their flavor is somewhere between like 
like a raspberry and a lychee though a bit they're they're pretty mild in flavor they're sweet just a little bit tart um fruity a bit floral and something that arizona is very famous for is we have a company here called cactus candy and they oh. make these like fruit gummies out of uh prickly pears they're sort of they're less like a gummy bear and more like a sort of like Turkish delight texture. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not my favorite gummy texture, but I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a pass for these guys. They're yeah, so yeah. good. Um, and they're totally goofy. Like they make, you know, saguaro cactus shaped lollipops, things like that. You can get them at the airport. But every time I travel somewhere outside of Arizona, I try to bring a box with me as like a little gift for whoever I'm visiting. Mm. And they always go head over heels because they're just so delicious. That sounds so fun. Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's very cool. Yeah, have to get you some. They're so oh, yeah. good. Wonderful. Should we talk about Nopalis? Indeed, Nopalis. Now that's one I've had and I'm yeah. a big fan. Yes, yeah, so Nopalis are the actual like cactus parts of the cactus and they're edible um and they're really good a lot of places down here will put them in tacos which is great uh i would say that their flavor is kind of hard to describe right like it's it's very vegetal mm -hmm. which seems like an obvious thing to say uh they they're kind of slimy but not in a way that's bad it's kind of fun a little bit like okra-esque Maybe like sort of a fresh green bean flavor. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I see them most often like canned, like, you know, in a can where you can open it up and they're in like their juices. But you totally can just like straight up, like grab a piece of the cactus, shave off the spines, shave off the outside. And th like, that's it. It's right there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you done that before? <laughs> I have not. Um, oh. I, I am. I love to cook. I'm very Italian, um, but I'm also like really deeply accident prone. Okay. So <laughs> I, I think that it could do it. Um, but I think uh, it would. I it would. I would maybe end up with like four less fingers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or <laughs> or just have cactus stuck to you in yeah. various ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the the other. Thing that like really draws me to prickly pears and the fruit specifically is I just sort of love like the metaphor of it where hmm. you have these beautiful delicate flowers and this sweet gentle mildly flavored but very vibrant fruit that's all protected by these spines like the spines are there to protect it, but on the inside, it's still so soft, so sweet, so lovely. And I really appreciate that uh, as a bit of like literary device just in the natural world, you know, getting past this uh, prickly outside to something that is worth the reward inside. Wonderful. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you think it's, I like those, there's, there's a, uh, I talked about this a little bit in the episode about poison ivy these mm -hmm. these uh, plants that have a very clear message for you <laughs> and the prickly pear is a little bit less harsh right the the the, the poison ivy is like don't touch me yeah. <laughs> and you're like okay yeah. uh the prickly pear is like you can touch me you just have to be careful and respectful or yes. else i'm gonna get you yeah more power to you prickly pear big man indeed <laughs> 
Uh, do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about the prickly pear? Yes. So while I was doing research, um, I went onto like the Wikipedia page, as you do, and I saw their actual official name. And I was like, huh, interesting. So their actual official name is Opuntia. And I was like, huh, I've never, I've never heard that before. And then I kept reading, and it's named for uh, the ancient Greek city of Opus. So first off, again, tying back to metaphors being very literary, love and Opus. That just felt so <laughs> on the nose, so perfect. But the other thing that I found is I thought that these only really grew in the Southwest. And, and like, obviously in Mexico. Yeah. And... I uh, I do feel a little bit like I am abandoning them in some way because I am shortly here going to be moving all the way, way far out of the desert to upstate New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, very excited. Much more excited for those plants, but we'll miss the prickly pear. But uh, like I said, I'm very Italian and specifically I'm very Sicilian. And it turns out prickly pears grow in Sicily natively I had no idea and it does kind of make me feel like uh, I will always be connected to them in some small way so I honestly I didn't know any cacti grew in Italy (laughs) so this is an interesting thing because I'm going to get to my plant in a second and we might have some some facts that we'll have to ask the audience about but I'll let you keep going but there there I have some I have some uh some tie-ins perhaps I'm so excited. Yeah. Can we get to your plant? Sure. Um, well, do you, do you, I don't want to cut you off. Do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about I don't the... think so. I just adore it. <laughs> During early summer, when rains sweep over the desert floor, smaller cacti may be uprooted. Joints of the prickly pear, easily detached, may be washed away, taking root where they lodge and a new colony of the plants begin growing. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing uh, prickly pear uh, with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? Please. Okay, so I I just learned that word opuntia today as well. Okay, yeah. And it has to do, I decided if you're going to choose a cactus, I'm also going to choose a cactus. Certainly. Um, I also had a chunk of my life where I grew up in the desert. I, I lived in the Mojave Desert, specifically 29 Palms, California. My mom was in the Navy, and so we yep, got yep. there because of the Marines. And um, there's a bunch of plants from that era that have stuck in my head, but the one that, uh, the cactus that stuck in my head the most, um, we called it the jumping choya. Yes, I knew you were going to say jumping choya. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and there are, now I understand that there are lots of choyas. There's a, yes. It's a, it's a wide variety there's another one that I that I think I'm going to name the episode this because it's a more fun name is the teddy bear choya, yes. which is also a very cute name. Yes, um, <laughs> I love them. And and for the audience who hasn't seen a choya, uh, unlike a, a prickly pear which has these flat pads and kind of these evenly spaced, very iconic looking, uh, as Will said, uh, spikes, the choya is just these little round knobs that are just completely covered in spikes. And like the teddy bear name is they kind of look fuzzy from a distance. You definitely Mm -hmm. don't want to give one a hug though. Um, um, But they're really cool plants. But when I was looking them up, I looked up their Latin name and their Latin name is Cylindropuntia is the genus. And it's because basically they said, well, that one's Opuntia. These ones are more cylindrical. We're going to call them (laughs) Cylindropuntia. 
So if it works, the, it works. Yeah. And then this is this is where I, I have something where I don't I don't doubt that that cactus grow in Europe and particularly in Sicily. Whether or not they're native, my source says otherwise, but who knows? What I read here is that that the name Opuntias is means, you know, related to the Greek town of uh, Opus. And in some writing of Theophrastus, Theophrastus is like one of the original plant dudes, like way mm-hmm. back in ancient Greece. He wrote about a plant that if you were being somewhat creative, you could think he's describing a, 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 a cactus, but not really. Okay. And, and people don't think he was. But however, um, the the name got applied to the cactus. And this is a quote I found from a guy named Philip Miller who, writes on, who wrote on a website called cactusnames.org. And he says... <laughs> Uh, the name didn't make any sense, or I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this here, but the part I've quoted is like, the name doesn't really make sense, but pre-Linnaean authors had a tendency to apply plant names from classical literature to wholly unrelated species. So, That's fair. <laughs> so his theory is that, that you know, basically people who are naming plants were like, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know, they're just trying to be fancy, I guess, and like show that they have read Theophrastus. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I think, I think sis, and, and this, this source said that uh, there's only one cactus that grows outside of the Americas, and I didn't write that one down. And maybe that does grow. I, I didn't see where it grows, so maybe it does, but it's not, it's not an Opuntia, it's some other one. Mm. But in this modern era, everything grows everywhere, and I have no doubt. And I think, yeah. I think I've seen prickly pear in Europe before, actually. Yeah. Even yeah. if they're not native, I love knowing that they grow well there. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take Ab- it. Absolutely. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, always, I always love the names um, and why, like, they get their names. And sometimes it's, like, obvious. It's like, oh, yeah, you're clearly just describing the plant. And other times it's like, yeah. that's weird. Um, the, the teddy bear choya is syndrome. Cylindropuntia bigolovi, I guess in in uh, Latin you say bigolovi, and it's because it's named after some dude named Bigelow. (laughs) 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 Yeah, some guy named Bigelow said, I'm going to name that cactus after me, I guess. That guy Bigelow, there's a lot of Bigelow stuff. Bigelow, he has a lot of plants. I don't know. (laughs) Now, the word choya, which is C-H-O-L-L-A for listeners, uh, you know, with that Spanish double L pronunciation. That word is, uh, the etymology is unclear to me. I was I was trying to figure this out, and I didn't go down too deep of, but I, I, I'm pretty good at finding this stuff. And there is a word in Spanish that is, um, it is uh, slang for head. It's mm. like noggin, I guess. Like Okay. But... I don't see why it's connected to the Choya cactus and nobody explained on the internet why that would apply. And so there was one reference I found in some old book that, that uh, theorizes that maybe it's like based off of an indigenous language Mm, and then kind mm -hmm. of morphed. And maybe there's a similar Spanish word that could be pronounced or something. So, but actually it's interesting that um, it's, that's what we, we all call it, Choya, that's the common yeah. name. People don't call it Cylindropuntia. <laughs> no. <laughs> but but as far as I can tell, it's not obvious, at least it's not common knowledge why it's called Choya. And I guess that's true <laughs> for a lot of things that are named things. That's just a name. So, um, oh yeah, so so maybe going back to, you know, growing up in um, 20 and Palms, um, when I was a kid, I used to run around the desert all the time, but the name Choya has this name, the Jumping Choya, and there's mm-hmm. this myth that the that the, the cactus will actually jump off and attach itself to you. So when you're running around the desert as a kid, you're like very aware of these cactuses and you don't want to get close to them. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, many, many an encounter here. Many times, especially like zoo trips, uh, with, like in elementary school, there would be jumping Choya around and we would have to like really hurt up all the little kids and be like, oh, nobody sure. touch those. Uh-huh. Um, now, it is a myth that they jump. They don't actually right. jump. But they do, and I, I just saw a cool video that really explained it very well. Like, I knew it, but this, this was a scientist explaining it. At the end of all of those spines is this, like, microscopic hook. Wow. And if it touches your skin or your clothing, it will, it'll hook onto you. And then he described that the strength of that hook is far greater than the strength of how the segments of the plant are attached. So if Wild. it hooks you, it's going to pull off. And now you yeah. have this piece of cactus attached to you um and i actually remember very clearly this moment of my dog coming up with a big choya on his face oh, one time no, and baby. he was he was a big dumb black lab and like seemed to not care but my dad <laughs> had to pull it out of him um but but that's the way they reproduce the choya cactus that makes sense it makes sense yeah. of like you know fruit being delicious and then seed and then seed go in bird and then bird go around but truncated a lot <laughs> But well, this is what's interesting is they do fruit, and I think that's a little bit true for the prickly pear too. I don't know sure if that's true, but but the choya does have flowers and fruit, but the fruit do not create that. Most of the seeds in the fruit are sterile. They wow. actually don't reproduce through seed. They more reproduce through losing these stem segments, which those those like segments of the plant are modified stems, and the the needles are modified leaves. And then those get carried around by getting attracted, you know, attached to animals, blown around with the wind. And then when they finally settle, they root themselves. And so they don't really need seeds. They, 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 they move in this other met method, which I think is pretty cool. And I think, you know, prickly pears can do that too. Like the pads can fall off and you can grow a new yeah. plant from the pad. Yeah, but they're same not with quite, lots of succulents. Yeah, but I think they're not quite as uh, easily ready to drop their, um, their segments as the choya. How um, ambitious. Yeah. Just yeah. such an ambitious little plant. They're go-getters. And and yeah, they're like, I'm yeah, I mean, what a what a great method to be like, I'm gonna spread out, you know. Yeah. I don't have to wait for a seed to go. I'm just gonna attach myself to passersby and uh get dropped off whenever they decide to pull this off. And then the so oh because of that, they tend to um to grow in patches because you'll have one that will have the stuff fall off and not all of them get attached to animals. And so some are just falling off nearby. And so um, those are called Choya gardens, which is pretty cool. They gave that such a fancy name. Yeah. So Love sure that. that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a couple just other fun facts. Um, they do apparently have, you, you can eat them like you can eat um, prickly pear. The mm. the fruit and the and the buds can be eaten the same way. You have to be very careful. Um, you got to peel off a lot more <laughs> spines. <Yeah. laughs> and so maybe it's not worth the effort. <laughs> um, you you want to take the buds when they're much younger, I think, than, than they get pretty woody as they get older. Mm. Um, and they have to be cooked because they have a lot of oxalic acid in them. But you apparently can't eat them and, and it has been a traditional food. Um, in that parts of the country where they grow, but I've never, I've never had one. I, the fruits are a lot smaller from what I've seen as well than the prickly pear. So not quite as a rock star in that category. Um, it, I feel like that's the same as like being a vegetarian version of like a big game hunter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at that point, it's just like about the accomplishment more than it is like the fruits of the labor, you know? <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. Like I did this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. 
And then the, the last little thing, which is going back, you know, so I had this experience of growing up as a kid and really trying to avoid them all the time. Um, and because you didn't want to get them stuck. Oh, this is one thing this video I, I saw said now is like, because if you get them stuck, if you get one stuck on you, uh, this this video, the scientist, he said this phrase, which I thought was good. He said, it would be comical if it wasn't so painful because <laughs> people have the tendency to have one you know, it's stuck on your arm and then right. you try to take it off and then it gets stuck somewhere else. And then you're kind of like just getting it stuck all over yourself <laughs> as it's moving from place to place because you can't grab it because it's just covered in spikes. So um, I, I never had that happen as a kid, but I was always very aware because I didn't want to, especially because I had this in my mind that they might jump on you, at least when I was right. smaller, right? And you didn't want that to happen. Um, but then a number of years ago, the last time I was back in uh, that area, we went to Joshua Tree National Park, which is really close mm -hmm. to Tornado Palms where I grew, grew up in that time. And when we were going there, we stopped by uh, a place that's called the Joshua Tree National Park Choya Cactus Garden. And there's this oh. place... In, in Joshua Tree National Park, it's 10 acres of teddy bear choyas, and it's incredible. Wow. Um, I can't even, I literally can't fathom that. I'm going to have to go look up pictures after this. It's so cool. And they've built these little wooden walkways through them so you can walk safely. You don't have to like navigate through your own path because that would be dangerous. Good. <laughs> um, I don't know if someone goes regularly trying to clear out them, but I think they're more likely to fall on the ground. And so the walkway's raised a few inches and, and so mm. you can walk through. And it's really cool. We were there pretty early in the morning and the way I'm a bit of a photographer, filmmaker, that when they're backlit, the way they light up is just yeah. phenomenal. So um, I thought that was a really cool place. And yeah, it, uh, the teddy bear Choya um, looks cute, looks cuddly, but is, is not. Do not cuddle. <laughs> Animals, wind or drought may loosen joints of the choya. They too will root and begin to grow. When Will told me about cactus candy, which I really want to try, by the way, I gotta find a place to look for it online. But when Will told me about cactus candy, I had this little flash of a memory in my brain that is, that is cactus adjacent, as you'll see. It's, a, it's another story about the time, maybe story's too much of a word, but it's another little memory that happened when I lived in 29 Palms. And it is cactus related, but maybe not in the way you'd think. So I'll just, I'll just tell it. This is the memory that came into my head when I heard cactus candy and this, this other thing kind of flooded my, my memory. And uh, when, when I lived in Twinham Palms, we lived kind of at the edge of town and at one end of the street, it just turned into desert. And if you kept walking in that direction, eventually you met these mountains and those mountains are actually part of the Joshua Tree National Monument at the time. Um, but it was just big empty desert and I would go over there sometimes and run around amongst the the choyas and the creosote bush catching lizards and whatnot. But if you walk the other direction, kind of towards town, that wasn't too far away, maybe uh, three or four blocks, on a really hot day, often my sister and our friends would do this, we'd walk down to the end of our street where it met the main road and at the end of the street was a little auto repair shop and that auto repair shop had a vending machine and in that vending machine was a soda called cactus cooler and it was our favorite thing to get uh, after a long hot day in the desert maybe walking back from the bus stop from school or on a Saturday when you've been playing outside chasing too many lizards walking down to the little auto repair shop to get yourself a cactus cooler was uh, quite the phenomenon so 
I realized I didn't really know anything about Cactus Cooler, and I was like, hmm, I wonder what the deal with that. Did it actually have cactus in it? And no, there is no cactus in Cactus Cooler. It is a soda that is essentially like orange pineapple Fanta, I guess. But it has this really, like, trippy, um, kind of psychedelic uh, desert scape with saguaro cactuses on it. It's quite something. And, and apparently the drink still exists today, but really in, like, limited places, mostly in California, which is where I had it. Um, I guess it was more widespread at one point. I really could go for a cactus cooler now. And then that, you know, in my Googling, I was like, what's the deal with this stuff? What's the deal with cactus cooler? What's its story? And it turns out that it it has to do with the Flintstones, um, which is pretty funny. So in the 60s, the Flintstones were like super popular. And and I found this uh, article... um, from a website called metv.com, uh, no uh, specific author attributed, but it, a quote from this um, article says, in the late 1960s, around the time that Flintstones vitamins were taking off, Canada Dry launched a new soft drink called Cactus Cooler. And the reason they did that is because in at least one episode, but I think several episodes of the, of the Flintstones, there is a drink that Fred Flintstone loves that is called Cactus Cooler, C-O-O-L-A. And I guess uh, Canada Dry, the soft drink company, was like, hey, let's cash in on this. Everyone loves the Flintstones. We're going to make Cactus Cooler so we don't get any uh, trademark issues <laughs> and, and and sell it to try to cash in. And anyway, that that's my uh, Cactus Cooler story. It makes me really want to drink one right now, even though I live on the East Coast and I think it's impossible to, to get one if they even still exist. If you remember Cactus Cooler, drop me a message, rootboundpodcast at gmail.com. But in all that heavy traffic coming home, one thing kept me going. As the car inched along, I could see it. There it was, right in front of me, big as life. What was it, Fran? That frosty, cold bottle of cactus cooler. I put me icebox last night. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Will Williams. Will is the creator and showrunner of Valence, a serialized urban fantasy fiction podcast. You can listen at valencepod.com. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington, who's wondering how well Cactus Cooler would pair with Cactus Candy. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, take a hike through the desert, but just keep a safe distance from the jumping choya. The original bulbs. Storage organs you can trust.